Welcome to Blockchain for Beginners podcast, the place where we can ask all of the questions we want and learn new things every single day about blockchain technology, NFTs, Web3, and the metaverse. Well, thank you, Josh, for uh, coming back onto the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you, and I really think that uh, this is going to be like a important episode, um, just because, like, shout out to everybody who has asked me about how do I get a job? Uh, working in Web3 or how do I get a job that I'm actually interested in. Um, I think that you're the perfect person to kind of ask about this. And I did some digging and I kind of wanted to go back a little bit. I saw that you had, um, I think you were doing like van life or something. So before maybe, were you in Web3 then or can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, for for van life, um, I've been building out a camper van since... A little bit after COVID started, basically, it's kind of been a passion project. So it's something that I've always been interested in. And then when COVID hit, I was living with some roommates and one of them was super experienced in building, did a lot of contracting. And and I don't have those kinds of skills to jump on and, and start building. But he said, hey, man, like I'd love to build it with you. So basically spent like a year learning from him and made a lot of progress. And then we don't we don't live together anymore, but I'm still building. I'm probably like 80%, 85% done. I've, I don't know. I just love camping. I do tons of things outdoors, like all seasons, surf in the summer, snowboard in the winter type of thing. So, um, yeah, van life just, it's, I, I just think it's interesting how, especially with COVID ramping up our remote work lifestyle, how you can work from a lot of places. And I just kind of wanted to try to take advantage of that. So, I've been, yeah, I love my build. I got electricity. I got like solar power. Can I can work in it for two to three days straight without recharging, running water, propane. I've got a, an actual stove and an oven. So like on July 4th, we made cookies in it at night. Um, and yeah, just a, a ton of room and a full-size bed too. So it's uh, just kind of putting the finishing touches on it now. That's awesome. Um yeah, I feel like a lot of people I've talked to have actually wanted wanted to like try van life, um, and I don't know anybody that actually has. So when I saw that you were, I think I I'm not sure if you actually said that you were like creating content around it or not, but um, I thought that was really interesting. Just kind of being able to take that step and seeing what happens or like traveling while traveling while working is something I think a lot of people want to do, but actually never get the chance to do. So yeah, kind of nice to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think I have a lot of ideas and I don't execute on all of them, but I really try to, I, I try to start, you know, pursue my interests. So I was listening to a podcast and I don't, I don't even remember what podcast. I just kind of remember the moment from it, but the, this person said, you know, when you find something has captured your curiosity for six months or more, but like the six month mark is a, is a warning sign for him. It's like, okay, I've been thinking about this for half of a year. You either need to do something about it or, or kind of stop. And it had been something I'd been thinking about for like a full year at the point that I heard the podcast. And so basically I was like, it, it kind of was a realization moment where I realized, you know what, this isn't just a a wow moment where I spent time. I read one article. No, like I had done the research. I had spent my hours on YouTube. I'd really thought about it. I just hadn't pulled the trigger. Something was holding me back. And then after listening to that podcast, I realized, you know, I just need to give this a go. And, 
you know, I don't know how I'm going to build it, but I'm going to figure it out. And part of that is just wanting to be someone who enjoys learning. Like you need to love learning. And I think it's kind of set me up that, that this van experience has, has bled into other parts of my life, I think, because I didn't know how to build a van. I didn't know how electricity worked or, you know, getting plumbing going worked. And every single part of the van, there's been a challenge and nothing's been easy. Something always goes wrong and you're, <laughs> you're building in a space that's not really meant to be built in this way. And so it's made me flexible. It's made me resilient. And, um, and then I've just learned a lot along the way. And yeah, I was making some content around it. I was recording everything. I, I basically have recorded everything and I was posting on it about it too in the beginning, but I find, I found it so hard to research how to build, buy all the, then go out and buy all the materials, then build and record and then actually post. And the posting is where the, like, it just, I couldn't do it anymore. It was too much time. So working full time, doing all the research, building and still doing fun mm -hmm. things on the side. So I kind of just stopped building and this van became a personal project for me. And it was pretty interesting because, you know, I'm a content creator. I feel like you might feel this way around content too. There's always this pressure to post, post, post. Like you always got to be on your grind. And and then yeah, I just kind of decided, you know, this is just going to be a, a me project. Like it's not dependent on if it's getting views. It's not a it's not a business. It's just something I'm doing for fun that I want to do. So yeah, I don't really post content about it anymore, but I definitely went into it with the intentions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. There's a few different times that I've started creating content around something else. But I was like, yeah, I, I enjoyed this um, hobby before I was creating content. And I kind of would like to go back to just enjoying it without the pressure of creating and, um, you know, just being in certain like online communities as well without the pressure of like I need to post a video every week um kind of like sometimes that defeats the purpose of why you're actually part of that community but the advice that you gave in the beginning of that like from listening to that podcast was like eye-opening for me I think I'm gonna um keep that somewhere like write it down or like keep it mentally because I have so many ideas all the time and I can get trapped into like trying to do all of them, uh, that probably would be a really good idea to see which one actually sticks for six months and then go with that one instead of like, you know, being all over the place. But, um, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Good luck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wanted to dive into like your, I know we touched about it, uh, touched on it a little bit previously. Just tell us a little bit more about like your journey of, uh, like, what did you do before you got into like working in Web3? And then how did you start, um, you know, working in Web3? Because I saw on your Twitter, you are also at MinSongs. Now you're at ensemble, ensemble Domains. Like, how did that uh, actually evolve for you? Yeah, I basically spent my whole career working in emerging tech. So during college, went during my internship and f full time afterwards, um, I worked in a section of a consulting company called like the strategic innovation group. And it was really focused on building around technologies that are three to five years away from like what could typically be thought of as like mainstream adoption. So I got the chance to start my career working in virtual and augmented reality really as the focus, but also everything from some 
IoT to uh, unmanned aerial systems like drones to uh, even some crypto research back in the in blockchain research in the 2017 run. But really, it was focused on VR and AR and specifically around training use cases. So how can virtual and augmented reality be used to train pilots before they ever get in the cockpit for the first time or uh, doctors working with dangerous drugs that that are that there's like this whole side of uh, experimental research with in medicine where you work with these in in like big boxes and you handle these hazardous materials and you need to literally get trained on how to work with these chemicals and whatnot like in this environment and and so you apply all these scenarios and you put them into a, a virtual reality environment um i think the coolest one i want to share real quick too is we had this we combined um brain waves with a live like soldier training so we had this device that tracks your stress levels coming through like sensors that you wear on your head uh, you're also wearing a virtual reality headset going through a live training environment. During that training environment, there's stressors that come out at you like throughout the, the gameplay experience. And we're monitoring when your stress is going up or going down. And so that you can pair that with a, a cognitive performance coach to basically say, hey, when this happens, you get elevated and you need to practice your techniques to remain calm during these environments. So like during all about my three years working in like VR, AR, I just got to see how new products get built and kind of experimenting with metaverses before I ever had heard the term metaverse. And I say that because like, I was really thinking about things like telepresence, like how do you meet with people uh, across the world in VR and thinking about training uh, in online worlds and whatnot. So I was very technical on the product side. Then I got into data science. I was interested in applying like data science techniques to some of these VR things. So I, I went down a data science path and had been experimenting with like building models and predicting things. But while I was doing that, I found my curiosity really focused on crypto and really stemming from my experience getting into NFTs with started with Top Shot, then I went to the Board API Club and, and spiraled from there. And so a similar thing with the van came up where it was like, okay, I've been super focused on NFTs for like six months now. Outside of work, when, when you're in a technical job, you're learning kind of always, you always have to learn. There's always new technologies coming out, um, new methods to understand. And so when you're in like a data science or like a, a software engineer type of role, you're actually doing a lot of external learning through classes and courses and whatnot. And I just found myself not interested in doing another data science course. I wanted to, I wanted to take like a blockchain course. I wanted to learn more about NFTs. So I figured the, the best way to learn was just to get in the game and find a role within, within web three. And it was tough too, because I think VR, and data science and AI are two fields that are only going to expand. And I had an opportunity to really, you know, keep fleshing out my career in that path, if that's what I wanted. And it's hard to leave something good for something unknown or also good. Like it's hard to, I, sometimes I almost found myself wishing I 
I was walking away from something less interesting because those are really fascinating to me. But for some reason, crypto just really captured captured my imagination. So I had a I had a good friend who founded a music NFT company called Mint Songs, and shout out to them. They're an awesome music platform for minting your NFTs on. And we had been chatting for a while. We we were friends in college, and I was trying to find a way to work with them. I mean, at the time, they were just only a couple people. I think now their team might be like 15 big, and they had raised some seed funding. And basically, they were only hiring for blockchain developers, and that's just not my skill set. So I basically proposed to them. I said, you know, what I'm seeing online is all these NFT communities that are thriving really have a focus on content. And educational information so putting out information from the community like this is just every from 101 level to like deep dive stuff so a lot of examples i had seen at the time was from nba top shot there was when that popped off all of a sudden you had youtube channels you had podcasts you had twitter influencers like all these people just making content around the product and so i was saying you know let's let's start a music nft podcast that's that sounds interesting. So they agreed. I hopped on board and I made like six, maybe eight. I can't even remember episodes uh, interviewing artists in the Web3 music scene. Domino, um, Famous Dill, Latasha. So like well-known music NFT creators in the space. And uh, yeah, after about six episodes, I just got reached out to from Unstoppable Domains. They were looking to hire a full-time podcast host and heard the show that I was producing and putting out and kind of made me a, a full-time offer to come on over there. So I was, A, pretty shocked because I was ready to do the music podcast on the side. Like that was totally on the side after hours of my full-time data science gig. And I was kind of just committed to doing that for like a year and seeing where it went. But all of a sudden, you know, six weeks later, uh, I was getting a full-time offer and had to make a decision. And it's kind of funny, to be honest, I actually turned it down initially. I, I said no, and um, really? yeah, I said no. I, I wasn't ready to walk away from what I had going on just yet. But they came back, you know, negotiated. I, I got the chance to talk to the CEO, talk to leadership, and um, and kind of just learn more about the mission. And and that's when I decided. I said, okay, you know, what's the value of being one of the faces of a big Web3 brand? What's the value of networking with creators, investors, and entrepreneurs weekly in the space? And and I think it's pretty high, actually. So I decided to go from code yeah. to content, and yet yeah, now I'm podcasting over at Unstoppable, but that's, that's the semi-brief story of my trajectory here. <laughs> so I've just, I've just always found myself, it doesn't matter what I've done, I've always found myself creating in some aspect when i was an intern like I'm, now i'm taking a step back and rewinding after i just walked through the history like when i was an intern at this big consulting company i i uh i got, i won this challenge they gave me a gopro i documented my my summer internship with this gopro we made kind of like bi-weekly videos that set me up so far ahead of everybody in the internship program because I had a network. Like I was the face of the intern program and I wasn't the smartest by any means. I mean, there were kids from all the Ivy league schools and, but, uh, but I was the one people knew and it, and I got access to a wide network. That network led to me being able to really pick the team. I joined full time and I got to work on the VR AR stuff. That was really cool. And, um, 
And then even after college, uh, I just always found myself making videos and opened opportunities. And I'd say video making videos has been the reason I've done most of the most impactful things in my life, actually. So, uh, making, making content, it's even, I've just celebrated five years with my girlfriend and the reason we talked for the first time is because I was walking around the college campus taking photos of people, kind of like humans of New York style. But I went to James Madison, JMU in Virginia. <laughs> we, we had a Facebook page called Humans in Madison. I was just taking random photos of strangers and asking them questions. And like, I wouldn't have talked to her if I didn't have the camera in my hand and going like, you know, kind of trying to engage with people. So, you know, it led to led to my internship it led to my relationship it's and now it's led to my full-time job now there is something about like making content and getting to talk to people like um i would say this podcast is growing it's not like one of the biggest podcasts definitely not one of the best podcasts out there i'm continuing to try to get better um but i the people that i've been able to talk to just by doing this on on my spare time has been like huge for me. It's opened so many doors for me personally. Um, but I wanted to, I wrote some notes down based on what you were talking about. And, uh, first of all, I, for some reason, um, yeah, you have such a, uh, crazy background. I didn't even expect that you, you had a, you know, such a interesting background, like already in technology. Um, I actually just did a podcast, um, previously with, uh, Elena. She writes NF times newsletter cool she's been doing it for like a year but she um said that she was originally learning about neuroscience and how they you can um, see different uh, parts of the brain light up and you can actually predict if somebody's going to get violent there's like a, an ethical concern there like do you monitor that person do you not monitor that person and it kind of got into like we had a whole topic of talk about like you know, blockchain, data, transparency, way in the future kind of thing. So, um, yeah, when you said, like, uh, what you had done, I thought that was fascinating. Um, with the stress responses, and I, I was like, I, I need that now. Like, I need somebody to say, like, when you do this, uh, maybe slow it down, back it up, and um, approach it in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely you know, coming. You said, you said pilots, but yeah, it's definitely coming. Well, I hope and it is. a lot of the, a lot of the hardware is a little bit like bulky and not necessarily the best user experience for like mass consumers. You know, like right now I, I do see a lot of that tech being still focused on like these specialized training circumstances. A lot of them's happening with the government, um, and like the different branches of the army and whatnot. But yeah, there's. There's a lot of companies working on like neuroscience meets technology, and um, there's definitely some like off the shelf things you can buy today. I think one company's called Muse, but um, not necessarily going to alert you every time you get stressed. But they do some cool things. But um, yeah, it would it would be nice. But lots of fancy algorithms and yeah. <laughs> lots of fancy hardware. So we'll see when we get there. I bet Apple's working on something. Yeah. Um, but uh, you had also said that you, you went into crypto because you found like you were passionate about crypto. You continue to be passionate about it over time. And I just wanted to know, like, what about it? Um, did you find so passionate when you first, you know, got into it and are you still, 
Is that same thing passionate for you now? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I find that something with crypto that's different than a lot of these major technology movements is that it has this whole social and financial element that others don't. And I do think that draws people in in a different way. You know, it, like it's something I've thought about is, you know, why why is there so much energy around crypto technology versus like climate tech or some of the healthcare tech? I mean, those are still massively important, but you don't find thousands and thousands and millions of people shouting from the rooftops about it, you know, day in and day out, but you do in the crypto world, right? Um, I found myself interested in Web3 because of the the way that people can talk about how this technology can be used for really futuristic use cases. Um, I think that it rewards people who are early through financial incentives. I mean, it's basically one of the biggest features of crypto is like, it helps solve the cold start problem. Like how do you how do you start a community? How do you start a product or a company? Well, you can literally financially incentivize people to come to the table and play. And just as a learner, for the first time I found myself being rewarded in a lot of ways I hadn't before, you know, with uh, some of the AI work I was doing, you know, still early, but my rewards are maybe just like skill sets that I can use in on my resume and job interviews to do my job better. And all of a sudden crypto, this skill set I've applied, like all of a sudden I can make investments. I can join communities that give me some kind of utility that I'm enjoying. You know, I found myself really personally benefiting in a lot of ways, but it's just the excitement. I don't know. I just like being around people who are excited. I feel like you're surrounded by builders and thinkers. So everyone who's involved in in crypto kind of has a little bit of this background risk profile that we all share. You know, we're, we're all willing to try, we're all willing to fail, and we're all willing to just take bold bets. I mean, that's a little bit of a prerequisite for being interested in this stuff. So I just found myself having cool conversations with people and um, just learning, learning so much. So it's also something that people can all participate in. I mean, from a technical perspective, the resources are there, you know, so it's, you don't, you don't need, um, you don't, there's not a lot stopping you from getting in the game and starting to contribute. So I found this to be an, an accessible technology area to really like cement yourself in early on versus some of the others take maybe more of an academic background or uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I guess that's, that's an excellent segue into like, what advice would you give people who maybe didn't come from like a technology background, but have found cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, they're excited about it, and they want to find a way to like be here right now. Uh, what advice would you have for them to kind of like get started doing that? Yeah, I mean, I can't give any advice around things that I, I can only give advice for what I've done, you know, from my experience. And I think just my experience is all out in the open. Like I find that if you're learning about something and you want to be a part of it, uh, making content around what you're learning is the best place to start. It's, 
you know, Gary, Gary V is every, everyone kind of knows Gary V. Right. But he always says, yeah. like, don't listen <laughs> to what I'm telling you, like watch what I'm doing. And I think it's a little bit of the same here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading news all the time about crypto cause I enjoy it. So what do I do? I put out a video every Friday covering like the crypto weekly news recap. Um, and I, sh- I share that. I am really interested in learning from the investors, entrepreneurs, and creators in the space. So what am I doing? I'm interviewing people weekly and writing Twitter threads about it, like sharing their, sharing their insights and, and knowledge with, with everybody. And so, yeah, not everyone can start a podcast. That's not everyone is going to necessarily make YouTube videos, but I'd say finding a way, if you want to work in the space and, you know, I'd say there's also, you can work in this space in any of the normal functional areas that you could any other company, HR, marketing, product management, um, operations, you know, coding, and then there's content, right? But if, if those traditional areas aren't necessarily what you want to do, but you're still looking to contribute, you know, I do think the content realm is a great way to go. There's so much new things happening on a daily basis. And yeah, we need a lot of perspective. So just because I make a podcast doesn't mean you can't make a podcast. But I would say, if, yeah, finding finding a medium that you enjoy, whether it's Twitter or TikTok or medium posts, you know, whatever it may be, and then trying to dedicate some time to it and staying consistent, see how it goes. I think you'd be surprised in the interactions you're going to get along the way. But ultimately, content's kind of a long game too, you know? It's hard to build a, mm-hmm. a following. It's hard to build... Um, an audience. And so it can be tough at the same time. But uh, even if content isn't your end game, I'm still going to say that I would I would do content to start off with because it's going to grow your network. It's going to lead to organic conversations. And then you may be, might be able to find an opportunity that you didn't even have available when you first started. So that's what I found for myself. You know, I was persistent with Mint Songs. I started podcasting with them and it ultimately led to a conversation with, you know, a a crypto company I'm really excited about and and working for. So that's, that's where I would start. And I, I think that advice is extend extendable to really any passion you have. I just think the opportunity we have right now to make content around your interests and that leading to potentially a full-time gig is, more accessible now than ever. Two questions come to mind from what you said, just said there. One, uh, cause you're really good actually at, uh, I listened to the podcast. Oh, thanks. Um, well I, I listened slash watch the podcast. Um, it's really well put together. Uh, you have great presence and also like your Twitter threads are amazing. They're again, they're like really well done. Uh, there's a reason that people follow you. So did you, is that something that you learned on your own as you went? Uh, like, how did that kind of evolve for you? Yeah, well, first off, really appreciate that. I put a lot of time into both the podcasts, but re- especially the Twitter threads. So um, I, I'm trying to put out the best Twitter threads on crypto out there. And I think some of them compete. So it means a lot that I hear that from, you know, people reading them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, where did I learn? I think, I think I learned by, uh, by watching people who I respect doing it really well. And 
it's there's like no one where place to point it out, but I have this really distinct memory. I did summer swim team, you know, growing up and I grew up on the East coast. I don't know. Summer swim is really big over there. Now I'm on the West coast and I feel like summer swim team. Everyone's like, that's not a thing. Cause it's too, a little too cold in like Portland and in the mornings out here. But, um, yeah, in summer swim team, there was this one kid on the team named Dennis and Dennis was like a under 18, like a, on the under 18 Olympic team, you know, had every record in the local pool book and just was this <laughs> dominant kid. He was like four years younger than me too, but still crushing everyone on all the races. And, you know, we had coaches teaching us during practice, but I would just go underwater and I'd watch Dennis swim and I would try to like do what Dennis is doing. And that like, no, I don't even, no one told me to do that. I just remember doing it. And I think a lot of that same philosophy is what I'm doing right now. I'm finding people online whose content I really enjoy and who I learn from. Um, and I'm finding different parts of it to implement into my own. And so, yeah, you know, Twitter, Twitter is where a lot of the crypto conversation is happening. And I want to, I want to reach an audience with, you know, what I'm learning. And so Twitter threads are the Twitter threads are the growth hack on Twitter. Like there's no way around it. You can't grow a following on Twitter without writing threads, basically impossible. Unless you're some like super whale crypto buyer buying all the craziest NFTs and people are just buying uh, following you because you're kind of like a market maker in, in a sense. But, um, if you are a content producer, yeah. Twitter threads are, are the way to go. So, and then from there, it's kind of just a little bit of a fight between doing what like works. You know, there's people who will tell you this is how to write the best Twitter thread and doing that. And then you also need to throw your own flavor on it. Right. So that's the Twitter th thing. And then podcasts is interesting. Like I appreciate that you say that the podcasts are great. You know, I kind of took this approach to the podcast when I started, I just hit six months of podcasting and I've, really just tried to be consistent. Like when I started out, truth is yeah. I wasn't a, ever a podcast host before. I'm just winging it. I'm doing it. What I'm doing, what feels natural to me. And so I, I told myself, let's just start off being consistent. And now I'm just getting to the point where I'm thinking through, okay, you got, you, you can do this. How can you make this more of your own? What things can I add that are, that's, that's Josh's personality versus, the formula that works. So I've taken a very formulaic approach to the interviews. They all have the same flow. You know, they start off with intros, backgrounds, and I take people through like an arc of questioning. And then I end with my segment one, two, web three that I do every single time. Um, and so I've, yeah, I've got that down, but now I feel like it's time to experiment a little bit, but ultimately with content, it's kind of weird. Consistency in both your posting, but also your style is really important. Like people just come to expect a certain thing and they want that they come to you repeatedly for that. And so I hear a lot from content creators when they switch up their style, people are like, no, go back and doing, do what you used to do. But, uh, you know, so mm -hmm. there's that tug and war between experimenting with new things and, and doing what you always did. But yeah, I've, I think when I first started in crypto too, and sorry, if now I'm, I'm talking too long, like, I was really big on curating my Twitter following, like who am I following on Twitter? I want to make sure I'm getting the highest, 
signal to like noise ratio I can get. And so I did that. And I think a little bit of that same philosophy applies to figuring out how to make good content. I mean, people sell courses on it. You can read articles on it, but ultimately you got to find 10 people in your niche that make content that you love, follow them and see what they do because whatever they're doing is what you should be doing too. If you want to grow in that area. And, you know, I also want to say like, not everyone needs to grow like a following, right? Um, but if that's your goal, you know, that's something I would definitely recommend. Really cool too. Like how you, you're the host of unstoppable podcast. Uh, but you just said that you're able to like experiment and, um, you know, I think that sometimes that doesn't happen. Like for you, I think it's like, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's more than a job. It's like, a, I feel it's like it's what you do, but it's also your job. But yeah. there's some times where you get into a content creation job where you're not able to actually like experiment as much as you'd like. And it kind of like does restrict you in some way. And you're, you kind of are like following a formula, whether it works or it doesn't work based on what, uh, people want from you. So, you know, how would you like, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm looking for here, but basically I think there's a difference between being able to like do what you want and also like, finding a fit if you were to get hired by a, a company and making sure that you can still create content without feeling like you're burnt out all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, the burnout is the burnout is I think the toughest part. Um, I just saw a TikTok today that might be relevant for this. <laughs> and like the TikTok said, there's like a rule of thirds, a, a, the rule of thirds rule and or like analogy they follow and it's it's a third of your time you should feel really good a third of your time you should feel like okay like that was all right and then a third of the time you're like oof man this is tough and if that's kind of how you're feeling when you're going through whatever job you're in you're probably doing okay you know, it's a little bit of an unrealistic expectation that 100% of the time you're stoked about every single thing you're doing because work is work. And, you know, I don't, sometimes when I'm writing those Twitter threads, I spend a lot of time really getting down to the word, like what I want to say, right? And so, yeah, it's tough. When it comes to making sure that I'm doing what I want to be, a lot of that has to do with just upfront communication when I signed on for this job. You know, I really said, I don't want to push. I don't just want to be like a product salesman. I want to take on the role of an educator. I want to learn and, and share. And so we really look at the podcast as a straight up um, brand play versus a revenue play. Like my goal isn't to make money through the podcast. And my goal is to be viewed as like a thought leader in the space. And so I get to, I get to have a little bit more flexibility around how I spend my time because of that. Now, that's definitely a, a privileged point of like standpoint and, and that I have because a lot of times when you're creating content and you do want to turn it into a full-time thing, you do need to figure out how to monetize. So I've definitely chosen to, you know, I get a full, I have a full-time salary versus going out solely on my own and trying to build this from the ground up. Right. And then having to find ways to monetize it like that. But um, yeah, I'd say it's figuring out, I don't know if this is a 
too generic of an answer, but like a little bit of it is figuring out your why, you know, why you want to do it. Um, and, and then, and going from there, but I I think I lost a little bit the trail of the question and now I'm just like thinking kind of existentially around content, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, sometimes it definitely is a lot of work thinking too. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot of work and it's really tough, but I want to, does I don't know why it's a big topic in content creation. Like people talk about burnout, but no one like talks about burnout with just a normal job. Like if you were working a normal job yeah. and you're supposed to work eight hours a day, like that's a lot of work too. And so, yeah, like content creation, I work like eight plus hours a day and like, it's a lot of work, but I was doing the same thing as a data scientist and I was doing the same thing, building AR VR experiences. So I, I try not to complain about the burnout thing because uh, it's just a little bit of a nature of the beast of what I've chosen to do. I think the thing that gets people is the fact that content is 24-7. So even after I get off work, I still got to pick up my phone and scroll on Twitter. So Twitter is kind of my job, but I'm kind of I'm on Twitter when I wake up, before I go to bed. I don't know when I'm standing in line waiting for my coffee. So in that sense, I think finding ways to disconnect a little bit from the phone can help with those people feeling that kind of way. So pre get everything done ahead of time, use scheduling tools. So you don't actually have to post it when you want to post it. And so I try to schedule my Twitter posts for, uh, my threads on Sunday mornings and it's summertime right now. Like every, to be honest, I'm out in the mountains every weekend. So I, uh, I have them scheduled while I'm gone. And I think that helps a little bit too. Things came up, but, uh, do you schedule through Twitter or do you use like a schedule for like, uh, everything? A separate one. I use a scheduler primarily for Twitter, but when it comes to like the podcast and YouTube, luckily I work with a team. And so I don't actually have to post to the podcast or the YouTube videos. I got uh, some fantastic colleagues who help me with that kind of stuff. Oh, that's nice. So <laughs> yeah, Twitter though, everything I, I, I schedule. And right now the tool I'm using is, um, what is it called? It's called Typefully. So there's a ton of Twitter like things out there. And for some reason I've chosen to use Typefully. I like the interface and it's been great for me so far. Nice. Um, yeah. The other thing was you talked about uh, unstoppable domains and really like you set the expectation about what your role was going to be when you got in. And I'm, I'm thinking about like, uh, especially for, like content creation, it depends on what role you're going to take. Right. But a lot of people get in, um, and may, might get in with like different NFT projects and uh, like what would the vetting, like I haven't done this um, actually, but I'm wondering like, is there a way to think through this? Maybe like, what would the vetting process be like? Like if you were to get a job or you're somebody says, I want to hire you for my NFT project. How do you know that you're actually going to want to stand by that project and you're going to feel good about being a part of, that significant project, um, as opposed to maybe finding out later on that it really wasn't the best project and you didn't want to be a part of it. Like, um, I feel like there's like some, a process there almost for people wanting the job, but you know, might not be right for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's a tough one right there. So I'd say in web three, most of the projects you see are like really true startups. Um, a lot of them, like mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 people, big teams. That's a very different like work culture environment than like a larger 
traditional company might be. And so when I was looking at full-time roles in Web3, I was looking at something that I felt like had been really established and Unstoppable is 100%, you know, a true startup, but I liked a lot of the things that I saw, you know, internally. 150 person team, um, great access to leadership, you know, I, the Matthew Gould, the CEO, I really like his perspective on on crypto. He's been very accessible to me before I joined the team and and since then. So, yeah, I was and, and then once you're I think once I was going through the interview process, just kind of learning the the vision of, of where we're going and how we're thinking about building. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just like a team of ten people scrapping together some things and just trying to push some code. It's, it's the roadmap we have is very thought through, and um, and I think it's going to work. So I'd say when I look at the spectrum of Web three teams, I think Unstoppable is one of the like the strongest full teams out there, and uh, and that that really got me. So I'd say I'd say that was a part of it. Um, yeah, I was just a little hesitant to join, you know, a group of ten people who maybe had just got seed funding and hadn't reached profitability yet. Like Unstoppable has been profitable from day one, and I knew there was an essence of security in that too. Um, the the roadmap had been had been proven, and uh, yeah, we we got a lot of exciting things. We're about to be announcing soon. I don't know. When, when is this pod going live, Carly? Um, it'll be not next week, the week after. So I think that's so like, like August, first week of August. August. Yeah. So if we can, yeah. if you can hold off till <laughs> August to, to put this out. Yeah. So we're about to un- announce our, a series a funding, um, raise like $65 million at a billion dollar value valuation. And so I wow. think, some of that, I mean, that's super exciting. And you know, I didn't know that was going to be happening when I signed on, but I saw the roadmap of like where it was going and like un- Unstoppable is, um, Unstoppable is just uniquely positioned, I think, in, in, in the crypto market. And, and yeah, there's been startups that have raised more at higher valuations too. So it's not like we're the, we're the first to do it, but I think that was really, uh, the, the news that's coming out, you know, around the time of this pod, um, a good validation point. And I also looked at the investors in the project. So some of the some of the two investors in our seed round were Naval and Balaji. So Balaji was the CTO of Coinbase initially, and is one of the most like respected crypto minds in the space. Um, and so is so is Naval. And I DM'd them on Twitter. Naval didn't get back to me, unfortunately, but Balaji did and said some really good things to me. Honestly, I could probably pull it up while we're talking right now, but whatever he said to me was, um, <laughs> I, I don't want to take it as just the source truth and whatever they say goes, but, um, Balaji gave me some words that really gave me confidence that this was a good team to join. And he actually encouraged me to go after content and said that, uh, a lot of people are technical. Um, a lot of people can do content. Very few of them can do both. And so he thought that doing both of them made me a really like dynamic person out in the world and the workforce. So that was encouraging to hear too. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that is really, really exciting. Uh, the one thing that I saw on LinkedIn that I, I did want to bring up, um, because I actually had, I have two things actually, I just remembered, but the first one was on LinkedIn, I saw posts about unstoppable domains 
And uh, I had went actually to buy a .east domain because I don't have a .east domain, but I have like five domains from Unstoppable Domains. <laughs> nice. And uh, I went to buy it, and for what it's worth, like I understand the value of you know having a .east domain. But I went to buy it, and then it said it was going to re- renew every year, and I was like, it, it's, that alone stopped me. And then I went on LinkedIn, mm. and I saw a post that said, um, you know, we're all about, like, ownership, and, like, we don't think that if you have to renew it, it's, uh, you actually own it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's why I have, like, five different domains. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, the the ownership versus renewal fee, I mean, it's a it's a business model choice. And also I'd say a company value choice. And, and I'd say it's so unstoppable. Yeah. What you unstoppable domains, if you buy an NFT domain from unstoppable, like you own that domain forever, buy once own forever. It sits in your wallet. It's an NFT. It's yours to control. Um, and, and send it to other wallets, never use it, whatever up to you. Um, and with the with the ENS domains, they have these yearly renewals. So you could renew for a hundred years or two hundred years, and you know theoretically have it for the course of your entire lifetime. But we really view these as your digital identity, um, your identity that you're going to take with you across the internet and have your on and off chain data associated with it. And it's going to be really dynamic. And so that shouldn't be something that you should renew. You really should own it forever and experience that with nfts i mean nfts for the first time give us the opportunity to own digital assets and so in true crypto nature like that's what we're going after um yeah i think the uh, the ens team is is great it's good to have competition in the marketplace let people choose what they want Um, but yeah that one fundamental difference for me too um definitely gave me pause but you know what other nft do you have on your wallet that you rent um i would say I don't think any other except for ENS. And I do think we're going to see a point where we are renting domains and we'll see, or sorry, not domains, um, renting NFTs. And we'll probably have a point where we're experimenting with different models where you you own an NFT for a, a time period or you can buy an NFT and rent it to other people. Like we'll see that come to fruition for sure because there's interesting use cases around it. But when it comes to your digital identity, yeah, I don't think that you should rent that. Well, yeah, I actually haven't thought about the renting, um, like a renting use case. So that's really interesting. That's something I'm yeah. going to have to think about. I mean, it's a very uh, Web2 business model. Yeah. Uh, every your Netflix, yeah. it's a subscription. <laughs> Canva, yeah. it's a subscription. I mean, everything's a subscription. And because for a big reason is like a lot of companies, um, it's when it when you come to forecasting your financials so when you buy like physical products people have to uh companies are trying to forecast their consumer demand and then but when you switch to a a rental business model all of a sudden you literally can see i have a thousand people on a recurring subscription i know exactly what my revenue is going to be next month and i know the percentage churn like i know how many people fall off month to month so you can start to forecast you know, yeah. these financials in the future. So the subscription-based business modeling is huge in the internet world. And I feel like when we're trying to push towards Web3, following a subscription-based model with your, you know, domains like ENS is very Web2. So no, sh- not throwing yeah, shade. I'm just, I'm just spitting facts. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I did go to buy one, but I didn't buy one. And that was the kind of the reason behind it. But yeah. um, the other thing was, and I don't know whether this is like a conspiracy from on my, my end, but Ro yeah, I'm in Canada and Rogers uh, went down. So it's, it halted like the, um, the phone, cell phones, it halted like online banking. We couldn't go to the bank and take bank out of the cash register. Uh, there's a limited amount of things that we could do at the, um, if you went into the bank and went to the teller. And uh, I saw Rogers did like a, a thing that came out on the news and kind of talked about it, but didn't really say what had happened. And the only thing that I got was like, I, I got a flag and it was from Unstoppable Domains that said your um, email may have been uh, in a kind of breach and only six people were a part of this thing. And uh, it was actually the one email that I had used that was tied to my bank account, which I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but um, it was tied to my RBC account, which was which got affected when Rogers went down. And I was like, so here in Canada, Rogers didn't notify me, but I got an email from Unstoppable Domains. I don't know if they were linked, but I felt like a suspicion that they were, obviously. And I was yeah. like, wow, like, uh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't, yeah. I don't know enough about that. There was a recent, um, there was a recent breach. Basically there's a lot of, there's certain pieces of infrastructure that I'd say like uh, everyone from Coinbase to OpenSea to like unstoppable use and, um, Coinbase was, or OpenSea was just affected by the same one. Some mutual third party provider we use, uh, had, um, was impacted by some like data email access list leak. And so, yeah, we, we updated all of our holders around that, but, um, there's, there's still a difference though, between, you know, your, your domains and all that kind of stuff, not affected. It's, it was a purely email thing. So unfortunately we're seeing email hacks and leaks happening, like basically on a daily basis. I mean, just before we hopped on this pod, I'm seeing like all these like Yuga Labs tweeted, you know, there's Twitter hacks being happening right now. There's always tr Twitter accounts being hacked, even with 2FA. Um, we actually just released a interesting feature, uh, Unstoppable, around email that, I mean, I think this conversation is leading to is we, with your Unstoppable domain, you can set up a private email address using your domain name as your email. So like carly.nft at ud.me. So at ud.me is the like the domain extension or is the email extension and then your NFT domain is the first part. That's your public email. You can set a private email associated to that. So let's say you go to an application, like a decentralized application, and they're asking for your email. You can you can give them your carly.nft at ud.me and have all of the emails from them forwarded to your private account. So that private email, like Carly at Gmail, that's, mm -hmm. that's not seen. Like that is not seen by the application you're using. Instead, it's the public domain email forwarding address that you can use. So that was a product feature we just rolled out like the last two weeks. Um, it was an idea someone had and we pushed it really quickly because it's a good one. So email is an easily exploitable thing we're seeing these days and also leads to a lot of spam. So being able to give a public email that forwards information to your private one um, is a is definitely a nice solution for right now. Yeah, that is really nice. Um, 
yeah, um, like, I didn't know that uh, was a thing, obviously. Um, and yeah, I don't, you know, maybe it wasn't tied together, but I just thought it was like such a coincidence. I was kind of like on the same day, um, that that Rogers thing happened here. Um, yeah, yeah, probably very, a whole other very different host of issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whole other host of issues as to why that actually happened. Um, that doesn't relate to this, but yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to like any, like nuggets of wisdom for people that are looking to break into web three during this time, because I feel like it's also like, a people are really, um, you know, it's an uncertain time. I think in the bear market, I listened to a, another podcast. I'm sure you listened to it too. Bankless. They yeah. did an episode recently that was, uh, talking about the market and, uh, I don't know. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so what advice you have for people that still want to get into this space during, you know, bear market? Yeah. I think the last thing I'd say is now is not the time to let your foot off the pedal. Um, as the market moves, I think a lot of people, if not most, like more than half of the people interested are going to walk away. Um, they're going to put their interest elsewhere because it's easy to be interested when price is going up. It's easy to be interested when everyone's happy and like making money in the markets. It's a lot harder to be interested when there's not good news coming out every single day. And then there's challenges you have to think through because that's when the actual work has to happen. Like it's a very popular saying that, oh, bear markets are when people build. And that's because during bull markets, all you're doing is just trying to like maintain what you had and like push it out to the world and push it out to the world. But in bear markets is when a lot of that marketing and consumer demand dies off. So you have to build the next wave for consumer demand, like the next wave of products. So right now is I think a good time, if you really are interested in this space genuinely, to double down on those interests and passions, create something around that, whether it's a service, content, a product, and position yourself to be some kind of leader, a thought leader. Um, maybe it's a you have a skill set to bring to the table. And so as the market comes around and you know everything's a pendulum, it goes back and forth, you're going to be in a better position. So I so wish that in 2017, when the prices crashed and my portfolio went down, I didn't walk away because I was fascinated back then too. But I put a little bit of my mind and time elsewhere. And if instead I had really stayed, oh my goodness, when the bull market started again, I would have been... <laughs> in such a different position than I started out. And I was still early to this last bull market, but I think there were a lot of things I could have done differently that I would have been able to do if I had been prepared. So yeah, I'm I'm looking at this time as an opportunity to keep making content, like especially from a content perspective. Yeah, I expect most yeah. people to like stop making content. And a lot of people yeah. maybe started a podcast that they don't intend to continue to do for years. And I'm gonna do it. And there's going to be people who are interested during that time frame. And as attention shifts from people who might have been sharing before and who aren't anymore, I'm going to be there. And so and hopefully sharing really good stuff along the way. So uh, I think that's a little bit of the advice I'd give. Stick with it. And um, yeah, stick, stick with it because <laughs> in, 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 in due time... Um, things will be positive again. So that's just the cyclical nature of markets.
Appreciate it. Yeah. Follow me. Uh, my, my handle's at JustWavyJ, J-U-S-T-W-A-V-Y-J. And the username I go by is 0xjosh.nft. I got a Moonbird in my profile pick right now. And yeah, just hit me up on DM if you ever want to chat. Always looking for help. So, hey, if you're a video editor too, could potentially collab on something. Um, but yeah, appreciate the time, Carly. It was a good talk.